morning. We're going to talk about the bottom line today. You know, the bottom line on a financial, uh, from a financial perspective, the bottom line is that bottom line at the end of the report that shows you either you made a lot of money or either you might be looking for another job. In academics, the bottom line, depending on your perspective, may be passing that next test or class or hopefully it's getting that diploma. And in sports, right or wrong, a lot of times the bottom line is seen as a a win or a loss. But I want us to see the bottom line from Jesus' perspective today. In Matthew 25, if you have your Bibles in Matthew 25, if you don't, the Scripture is going to be on the screen in a moment. This is a famous talk Jesus was given, a famous sermon. It's called the Olivet Discourse. And it's coming, it's called that because he's talking from the Mount of Olives. We have a picture of the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem today. Uh, At the highest point there, it's about a thousand feet over the city of Jerusalem. This is where Jesus spent a lot of time. In fact, when he ascended back to heaven, it was there. And the Bible says someday when he comes back to earth, it will be there. Uh, And I want to show you a picture of, of what Jesus may have seen, that the wall there before that golden dome is literally the wall that Jesus would have looked at 2,000 years ago. Uh, as he looked, this is from the Mount of Olives, looking at the old city of Jerusalem, where that gold dome is. That's not Notre Dame, by the way. That is, a, that is a mosque where the temple in Jesus' day actually sat. And in this famous speech in Matthew 24 and 25, Jesus was talking about some really important things. He was talking about Jerusalem is fixing to be totally destroyed in less than 40 years. He's trying to get these people ready. And he was telling them, hey, listen, someday I'm coming back to earth. I'm coming back to earth, uh, not as a baby in a manger, but as as a judge to rule the world and to rule and to judge you and me. And so it's in that context that we, we look at Jesus's bottom line this morning. I want to begin with this. There are things in life you have no control over. There are things this morning that no matter how much you worry about them, how much you fret about them, how much you get mad about them, how much you cuss about them, how much you kick about them, you have no control. How many of you today have any control over Vladimir Putin and what happens in Russia? If you do, Jacob, did you raise your hand? If you do, I want to talk to you because you are really an influential person. How many of you have any power over the United States Congress, if I want to see you, because I have some ideas I want to share that I'd like passed on to the nut farm up there uh, in, in Washington. A lot of things we don't have control over. In, in this passage, it begins in verse 14, and it says, again, I, I tell you, I want to be like a man going on a journey. Jesus is telling a parable, a story to illustrate spiritual truths. He called his servants together, and he entrusted them with his property. Jesus is ultimately the master. We're the servants. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. It was not uncommon for rich people in this day to take extended journeys. They did it for two reasons. One, they did it for business. They'd go away to try to to make more money, to strum up business. And two, if you're a rich person and you can get away, you do what? You get away. And so the rich guy went away. But before he did, it says he called three of his servants together. And a better understanding, these these were slaves. In other words, these weren't just people who worked for him. These were people he owned. And he said, I'm going to entrust you with some, we're going to see in a moment, some pretty valuable stuff. 
And I'm going to entrust this based on your ability to this point in your life, what you can handle, what I believe that you can be responsible for. And he uses the word talent here. It's hard to understand exactly what this meant because a talent was not like a $100 bill. It was a weight that was used to figure out uh, a monetary value. And we don't know if it was a gold talent or a silver talent or a copper talent. Most scholars believe it was silver because it was the most commonly used thing to trade in in this day. To give you an idea how much money this would have been, one talent was worth 6,000 denarius. Now, still, that means nothing to you at all. But a denarius was, one denarius was what a working man made a day. So one talent was worth 6,000 days' pay. So a guy gets five talents, he's getting 120 years' worth of pay. That's a lot, lot of, of money to work with. The other guy only got two talents, but still, that's 48 years of a working man's salary. And the other guy, he could be pouty. He just got one talent, but that's still... Wouldn't you love for someone to give you 24 years' worth of wages tomorrow and say, hey, manage this and see what you can do with it for you and for me. It was a whole lot. And he says, I'm going to give this to you based on your ability, what I see you're capable of handling. And listen, what you are responsible to handle, what I can trust you with. A lot of people believe we get our English word talents from this story. And that word talent obviously means your abilities, what you're gifted with. And here's the bottom line, folks. There is a lot of things you have no control over. You don't. You had no control over who your mom and daddy were going to be. Sadly, you had no control whether they were going to be a good mother or dad. You had no control where you were born. All these things greatly affect your life. You had no control over when you were going to be born. You had no control over how tall you were going to be. Now, I know you might could take shots and grow up a little bit, but, but, but you know, you, you, were, you were born and you were going to be a certain height, basically. You're going to be tall or short. You had no choice in your body build. Now, you can, you can do a lot about your build, but, but whether you have a bulky build or a slim build, you had no choice in that. By the way, for a football player, an athlete to say he has a bulky build by birth is good, isn't it? But guys, let me give you some advice. Listen to me. If you're ever going out with a girl and she says, how does this outfit make me look? Don't say, with your bulky build, it looks good. Never, (laughs) never say that. Amen, coaches. Is that correct? Am I getting them out of trouble on that? You you don't have control over that. And, And listen, I know you can certainly increase your mental ability, but you were born with an IQ level that, again, you can help it. But, but a lot of us aren't going to be Albert Einstein. I saw a bumper sticker. guy said, I took an IQ test and it came back negative. <laughs> I know that person in Ruston. I get behind them frequently on the highway. I know who they are. But the truth is, how tall you are, how short you are, how naturally big your frame is or how big it's not, to some degree, your, your ability, uh, your, your, your speed, and, and your ability for your natural IQ, there are some natural limits to that. You have no control over those things. The second thing is, though, is there's a few things that you, you can control totally. There's a few things in life that you have total control over. In verse 16, 
It says, the man who had received the five talents, this is important, went at once. He went immediately. He put his money to work, and he gave five, he gained five more talents. He had no say in how many talents he was given. He had no option of, 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 of if he was going to get six, he was going to get four, he got five. And what he immediately did is he went out, and he busted it, and he got five more. It says in then verse 17, so also the one with two, the, the one with two didn't sit around complaining and going, why did I only get two? That's not fair. The, the master always treats me bad. I'm always, I'm always mistreated. He didn't do that. It says he took his two and he went out and he gained two more. And in verse 18, is the loser. But the man who had received the one talent went off and he dug a hole in the ground and he hid his master's money. We're going to get to the moral of this story real quickly, but I want to tell you, there's not a lot of things in life you have control over. But you do have control over some major things. You have control over your attitude. You, you have control over how you use your talent. You have control over how you develop your body frame or your abilities. You have a, a, a lot of control, and I believe God obviously has given us this to... Use those gifts if you're a Christian. God gives you spiritual gifts to use those and to develop those to the fullest extent of your ability. You have the ability to do the best that you can with what you have. Did you hear that? You have the ability to do the best that you can with what God and what other people entrust you with and give to you. And so here's the big thought this morning. God is going to judge us by what we do with what we can control. This is good news and it should be really scary news. God is going to have us give an account to him someday not on what we can control, but what we can control. In verse 19, it says, After a long time, the master of the servants returned home and settled accounts with them. Now, in this day and age, when a person went on a trip, you never knew when they were coming home. I mean, it, it, things were so unpredictable. I mean, you traveled either by horse or buggy, or you walked. You, didn't, you couldn't text. You, didn't, you couldn't call. You couldn't call from a landline. You couldn't email. You couldn't fax. Nobody faxes anymore anyway. You couldn't tweet. You, you, if, you had, if they had post office type mail, it would have been horrendously slow. So when you were going off on a journey... There's no telling when you might come back. You might say, I'll be back in six months. It might be a year. You might say, I'm coming back in a year. It could be 10 months. Part of this is what God's saying here. God's saying, you and I are going to give an account. It may be tomorrow. It may be 50 years from now. It's unpredictable. You go, well, I'm young, and I may live for 80 more years. I hope you do. But you and me may be standing before God tomorrow. That's the point. And see, a big part of the motivation here is to understand that God is the master in the story. God's watching us. God loves you deeply. God cares for you deeply. But God's watching you. And someday we are going to give an account before God of what we did with what we could control. What we did with him and what we did with our lives. That ought to motivate us. 
Bear Bryant was one of the greatest football coaches, college football coaches ever. Now, my Auburn people, I'm looking at Nick Brown. He just had a heart attack in the balcony. He's an Auburn guy. And, of course, Bear Bryant made his fame at uh, Alabama. Bear Bryant coached at Alabama and in Maryland and Kentucky, but he was at Texas A&M before he was at Alabama. And there's a great story that happened literally in a football game against the University of Arkansas. They're playing the University of Arkansas, and A&M is up by four points as time's running out. A&M gets the football back. They're on about 20 to 30 yards from scoring, but the clock's running, and Bear Bryant tells the guys, he goes, if, if you go in, you run four plays, the game's over. The game's over. So he tells his quarterback before he sends him back in, whatever you do, you don't throw the football. This is a true story, but what do you think is going to happen? They run the first play, nothing, but the clock's running. Second play, nothing. The quarterback's looking. There's a wide receiver over there nobody's covering. So they go in the huddle, and he says, here's what we're going to do. We're going to throw the ball. They're all scared to death of Bear Bryant. They said, no, please don't throw them. I go, nope, wide receiver's wide open. I'm going to hit him with a touchdown pass. We're going to win this game by 12 points. Coach will be mad for a little bit. I get a touchdown pass on my record, but he'll be glad because we won, and we won even by a bigger amount. So he drops back, throws the ball. The free safety sees what's happening. He's also the Southwest Conference sprinting champion from last spring. He intercepts the ball, and he catches it full stride, and he's automatically, he's just right out in the open. He's going 90 yards for a touchdown. The clock's going to go off, and the game's going to be over. At the 10-yard line, he's tackled from behind by the quarterback, who is notoriously slow. (laughs) The clock runs out, and A&M wins the game. In the locker room after the game, the reporter's around Bear Bryant, and he's pulling on his cigarette. And they said, Coach, how in the world, why'd you throw the ball? Number one, he goes, I didn't throw the ball. My ex-quarterback, starting quarterback, threw the ball. And he said, okay, how, Coach, how in the world did your quarterback, who is notoriously slow, catch that free safety, who is a Southwest Conference sprinting champion, Bear Bryant? said, it's easy. It's just motivation. So what do you mean motivation? He said, the defensive back was running for a touchdown. He said, my quarterback was running for his life. (laughs) (laughs) Motivation. Listen, if you'd get up every morning, I'm not saying this to be negative, but you'd look yourself in the mirror and say, someday I'm going to face God. Someday I'm going to face God. I need to live my life in light of the fact I'm going to face God. That's a motivator. The judge, the the master comes home. Let's see what happens in this story. It starts off pretty good in verse 20. It says, the man who had received the five talents brought the other five that he had earned. He said, master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. And his master replied, well done, you good, you profitable, you faithful, you loyal servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'm going to put you in charge of many. You're looking for promotion. Here it is. Faithful and few, I'll put you in charge of many. Come and share in your master's happiness. A lot of times when they'd get home from these long trips, they would have beautiful banquets. And this is the day before electricity. So the banquet would be all lighted up. Of course, everything outside at night is dark. You, you don't ask the slave to come into the party unless he's becoming part of the family. He said, you come on in, buddy. You're, you have earned a right to be part of the family at this point. 
Verse 22, the man with two talents came to the master. And he, he said, you entrusted with me two, I gained two more. His master replied, you loser. Why didn't you do more with that? No, he didn't do that. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'm going to put you in charge of many. Come and share in the master's happiness. Hey, I gave you two because I knew that's what you could handle at this point in your life. And you took what I gave you and you maximized it. And so you know what? Your responsibility and your privilege has just increased. Come on into the party. But now we get to look at the bad guy of the story. Verse 24 The man who had received the one talent came, and he said, Master, I know that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid, and I went out, and I hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. Guys, every psychologist would tell you that what what you're seeing right here is a loser's limp. When he's confronted with what he's done with his life and his situation, he blames. It's the boss's fault. It's the master's fault. Some of you are saying it's God's fault for the whole you're in this morning. It's the coach's fault. It's my teammate's fault. It's my husband's fault. It's my wife's fault. We blame others. We make excuses. We deflect. We say, well, I was afraid. We make excuses there. Verse 26, the master, again, who is God, replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers. So when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. In this day, they didn't have a bank like we have banks, but they had lenders. And and he was saying, at the very least, you could have taken what I have given you and just loaned it out. Jewish people didn't loan to Jews with other interests, they weren't supposed to, but they could to anybody else. He said, why didn't you just loan some money out to people and make me money? But take the talent from him and give it to the one who has 10 talents. Verse 29, everyone who has will be given more and whoever has an abundance, whoever does not, even what he has will be taken from him. And verse 30, and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I think there's two things there. He may be saying this. He may be talking about, one, our eternal situation, that we all have an ability, I believe, as God draws us to respond to him. And if we don't respond to him, eternity is going to go bad. (laughs) But I think he's also talking to that servant there. Say, you're not coming in the party. You're not coming into the banquet. You you, you need to get away from me. Take what he had and give it to somebody else. Listen, here's what God's saying. If you're not a Christian, you ought to become a Christian. That's open to all of us. If you're not a Christian, you want to hear some, some great principles, here's some principles. If you are a Christian, these are things God's going to judge us on someday. How you use your talents, your abilities, your spiritual gifts that God's given you. Listen, God is not judging you on what you can't do. God is judging you on what you can do. God's not measuring you against somebody else. A lot of us, we are judging ourselves by some other teacher, some other coach, some other preacher, some other person, our brother, our sister, or whoever. 
God, God is judging you against his standard and against yourself. You know, you, you've heard this said, but it's absolutely true. The person you need to compete with is yourself. You get better. You do the best you can with what you have is what God's saying here. It, it was common in this day for people to bury their money because they didn't have banks. So you got a lot of money, you don't want it stolen, you go in the backyard at night when nobody's looking, and you dig a hole and you put your money in there. That was common. He could have said, well, hey, this is what everybody else does. God doesn't want you to do what everybody else does. That's not an acceptable excuse. Well, they were doing it. He did it. She did it. My teammate did it. My husband did it. God wants you to be different. God wants you to do the best you can with everything that he has given you. That's how God's judging us. I was listening a few weeks ago to a CD. On, it was titled, The Posture for Advancement. The, the Posture for Promotion. How do, you get, how do you get promoted on the team? Or, or how do you get promoted positionally? How do you get more responsibility. How do you get a raise? See, most of us think that we just deserve those things. That, well, we've been here long enough. We ought to be, just be given to us. Our, who our mom and daddy are. Or, or because we've, been, we, we've had it rough. Or because we have influence. And so we gripe and we complain. And we, we, we talk about the the leaders in our lives, or we complain against God because we're not getting the next step or the promotion. And in this CD, what these guys were saying, the posture for advancement is exactly what Jesus is saying here. You want to you move up on the team and you want to move up on life. Wherever you are, you do the best you can with what God has given you right now. Why should someone promote you when they can't trust you at this level? Why should God, and that's the big point of the story, why should God look at you and me and give us more responsibility and more leadership in our lives when we're not doing anything with what we have right now? That's what God's saying. Quit making excuses. It all comes down to this. God expects us to do the very best we can do with what we have. That's how God's grading us. I saw, I read a great quote this week, and, and I'm paraphrasing it, but it, it basically said, wherever you find yourself in life, fling your whole self into it. Whatever your situation is, what, whatever your lot is right now, with all your being, you get in the middle of it and do the best you can with what you have where you are. That's what Jesus was saying. Back in 1886, Ruston was a little city then, but a lot of the cities in the east were big and strong and powerful. And there was a church, Grace Baptist Church, was a big church in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. One Sunday morning, they had had Sunday school, and they had church, and after Sunday school, the pastor bumped into a little girl named Hattie May. She was about six or seven at the time, and she told the pastor how crowded the Sunday school was. And the pastor said, well, Hattie, he said, we are trying to raise money to build a new Sunday school building so that all the kids in this part of Philadelphia who want to go to church here can. 
That was the last the pastor ever saw her or, or talked to her that he could remember. And about a year and a half later, she died. A little girl died. And Dr. Conwell was asked to do her funeral. And right before the funeral, Hattie Mae's mama brought him a handkerchief that had 57 cents in it. 57 cents in 1888 was a little more than it is now, but it's still not much money. And she said, Pastor, when you talked to my daughter that Sunday morning, she went home and decided she was going to do everything she could do to help raise money for that building. She raised 57 cents and she died. I want to give you that 57 cents. Well, he was overwhelmed, as you can imagine. And in the weeks ahead, he shared with the people that story. And, of course, people were overwhelmed. In a brief period of time, they raised enough money and they bought some property, starting with Hattie Mae's 57 cents, and they built a Sunday school building. And then they were able to buy a house right next to that property. And shortly thereafter, a college began to meet in that house. Shortly after that, on that property, they started a hospital, the Good Samaritan Hospital. We know today that college is Temple University, and that hospital is now Temple University Hospital. And the, the foundation, the heart of that, began when a little girl who didn't live to see her 10th birthday gave her 57, her 57 cents were given. And it'd be so easy to look at that and say, that's nothing. But I want to tell you, this side of, we can never imagine in heaven what God can do, whether it's our money, our talents, our time, when we give everything we can to the cause, what God can do with it. Will you pray with me? This morning, if you're a Christian, I pray God has touched your heart and spoken to you, motivated you. If you're not a Christian and you're ready to cross that line with Jesus, I want to invite you to pray with me this morning. Just pray and say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I want to repent of my sins. Jesus, I accept that you're God's son and that you died and arose for me. Come into my heart, Jesus. And I ask you this morning to save me. Let me have your attention just for a second. We're going to stand in a moment, and when we do, here's what I want you to do. Maybe today you, you ask Christ in your heart, or maybe you're ready to do that. When we stand, I want to ask you to leave your seat and come. I know it's hard, but come today and cross that line with Jesus. Talk to one of these ministers. Let them help you with that decision.
Maybe you're here today and you'd like to join our church. One way you can do that. One way you can do it. When we stand, slip out and come down here. One of the ministers will help you. We'd love for you to join today if God's leading you to do that. Christian, some of you today, you're doing great with this. I mean, you are doing everything you can with what God's given you. You keep it up. Others of us aren't doing so well. Maybe it's at the altar or praying with a minister. Or maybe right where we're standing, we just need to say to God, God, forgive me for not maximizing my life. And with your help from this point on, I'm going to. Let's stand. As God leads you, you come. We'll be waiting on you.